Podcast One. Have you got a book in you? I reckon every business owner has. And so does my guest, who's an expert at helping peeps like you get published. It's a very studious episode 484 of the award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Well, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing Welcome back to your weekly to dose of marketing stupidity. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You, infinitely more importantly, you're a motivated business owner and you are ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And if that's not enough and you are itching to fast track your marketing, then let's get personal with a one-on-one coaching session, which you can book over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Big episode today. Business book publisher Lyda McClellan explains how and why to write a business book and how having one can scale your business exponentially. This week's Monster Prize Draw winner pretty much implements something from every episode, and I'll fill you in on next week's rock star guest. And they are actually a rock star, so I'm pretty excited about that. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Lyda McClellan is the founder of Talk Plus Tell and is an expert on helping business owners get published. And while working at a corporate job for eight plus years, she was trapped in the cubicle. Lyda, not so secretly, helped authors promote their own books as a little side hustle. We all love a side hustle, don't we? But it wasn't until 2017 that she decided to make her side hustle something serious, her own business. So far, the authors Lida and her team have worked with have gone on to sell, how's this, hundreds of thousands of books, win awards, become international bestsellers, go on cross-country book tours, aka junkets, appear on the BBC, in Vogue magazine, the Huffington Post, New York Times, and she's even helped one go viral through a clever little press release she talks about. Now, through a self-publishing company, Talk Plus Tell, she now helps business owners produce beautiful books that sell and most importantly, reflect the author's goals and brand. We all want a bit of, you know, being on brand, quite important in our business these days. Now, we cover plenty of ground during this chat, including the types of books that you could potentially write, the essential questions you need to ask before writing that book. If you're not a great writer, we solve that. If you get writer's block, we solve that. Why you need a team and who would be on that team to bring your book to life. You can't do it all yourself. And what the best publishing options are. So I started off by asking Lida how publishing a book can help grow a business. Yeah, there's a lot of ways that it can. The biggest one is that it can produce more sales. People who read your book, they're already invested into your business. And then it's just another touch point for them to buy something new and buy more into your business. It's um, One of the biggest things I find is that it really creates a culture into, instead of just consuming it. So you have fans and you have brand ambassadors, you have people living and breathing your story and your brand story, which is so important when you're, um, when you're wanting, you don't just want to constantly focus on sales. You 
want to have, build that audience that you can tap into and share that message for you. And it's also that um, it gives you immediate access to blogs, podcasts, speaking platforms, and other publicity that you wouldn't have been able to consider before. One of the yeah. biggest success I found with one of uh, all my um, nonfiction business authors is that they actually able to book more speaking gigs and they do it really strategically. They actually um, waive their speaking gig and instead sell their books and they sell hundreds and hundreds of copies per speaking gig and they're actually able to produce more income from speaking than anything else. There's this one author I work with and he's um, into real estate and he went from real estate to mindset and business mindset and he gets all of his sales just through his books and speaking. So he sells his books at the speaking events and then that funnels people into his courses and into his groups and into different sessions and everything. So it's perfect. That's an interesting example. So you, mm. you have who is a real estate agent. He has gone and written a book about mindset. So mm. kind of like sales type guy. Yeah. Okay. Was his book um, a way of leaving real estate and getting into another industry or was it an extension of what he was already doing in real estate? It was an extension of his, he moved to another business where he wanted to sell courses on success and getting, um, helping other real estate agents sell more, get more clients. And that's when he wanted to create, he created courses and everything. And the book was a way to grow that business um, and really create more students. So he actually, his book, we don't really sell it on Amazon. We sell it all through speaking. We're able to produce more results that way for him. Yeah. So Lida, you talk about a book being a great way to get more sales, but clearly it's a great way to get potentially speaking engagements, to reach out to people uh, who you may find it difficult to meet in other mm -hmm. circumstances, a great way to build a personal brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Another author I worked with um, when I was working with another publisher, um, the author was called, his name is Steve Tappan and he has his own show on BBC called The CEO Guru. His first book, for example, was the Ford was written by Richard Branson, and the second one was um, the um, CEO of WPP. And he's a small business owner or medium-sized business owner. And what his business around is he coaches CEOs. Um, and what his book, the goal was, is to use it as a business card. So not only to sell books, but to use it as a business card to get more CEOs into his coaching programs. And how we did that is that we, yes, he does speaking, but we didn't. Our goal. Uh, his audience was not at those speaking events. The CEOs were not there. They were the ones that were speaking beside him. So, But they are at airports. So we put his book in uh, major international airports because that's where his audience was. We also did a couple of events that were very private. Um, we did an event in New York that was very private, targeted just to, with CEOs. And that's how we really gained interest and um, gained traction with them. And the goal was not, to, um, if you look at his book on Amazon, it doesn't have a ton of reviews because that wasn't our goal. Our goal was to get B2B sales and to get um, CEOs and his target audience to purchase the book, gain trust with him, to then up-level and purchase a course with him or co um, that coaching course with them. I love the idea mm -hmm. of a book being a, uh, like, a, I call it a glorified business card. We've had a previous yeah. show, um, Darren Finkelstein, who owns a little boatyard uh, in Melbourne, Australia. A little, you know, he sells and services motorboats. He wrote a book which became a really, really powerful business card. So when other, when customers were going to his competitor's boatyard and being handed their business card, people were coming into his boatyard and he's handing out his book and they're like, yeah. Uh, you've got that immediate trust factor that mm. develops. So that was a very successful little play for Darren. Should every business owner write a book, Lida? Um, no, I think like the business own, business owners should write a book if they failed. 
I think that's where it comes down to. Because if you if you've ever read a memoir or any nonfiction book, even fiction books, there is failure in there. If you've not experienced failure and how to overcome that failure, then you don't. Then it's hard to write that business book because it can't all be lovey dovey and great success. There has to be some sort of um, something hard, challenge something in there that you went over that you can share other with to other people so they can learn something from that if they're going through and relate that to their own challenges. Yeah, yeah. So you say a business owner shouldn't write a book unless they've experienced failure, but that's mm-hmm. on the assumption that the book is about their business. Um, um, yeah, no, that's a good point. A lot of entrepreneurs they tend to write about their business and um, and as a case study. So there's t- there's four different ways um, to write like of books that you can write about. There's one is the how to book, and the second one is the thought leadership book. The third one's the interview book, and the fourth one's the memoir. So the first one is like for the how to book. It's often structured with steps on um, that pe- readers can follow on how to achieve a certain result. So it teaches readers how to do something that's using a unique process to that business owner. The second one's the thought leadership book. And we see a lot, it's similar to thought leadership articles that we see published on Forbes, Inc., Huffington Post, or Thrive. And it's rather than taking readers through a process to achieve a certain result, the book is more persuasive, focusing on making your case for something you believe in. Um, and so like when we're making our case for anything, there's always some sort of challenge associated with that. Maybe that challenge is getting over writer's block, or it could be getting over um, uh, sleeping in, getting over how to eat healthy. That's still a challenge and like maybe failure is too hard of a word, but there's still some sort of challenge. So maybe with your the, the guy that you mentioned with his boats, maybe the challenge is to have a boat that's going to last over a decade. Maybe that's the challenge. So it's really understanding what is that challenge because there has to be some sort of um, leading something. Why, why are they reading the book more than anything? Mm-hmm. What are they going to learn from it? And that learning stems from some sort of challenge. So the third one, Lida, is the interview book. Yes, the third one, the interview book, which is the the bulk of the contents where it focuses on just interviews. So you have maybe interviews from maybe 20 different clients or customers or people within your industry, and you kind of put those into chapters. So it's not just your voice, it's multiple people's voices, but it's all related one, around one topic. I really like the interview one because um, mm-hmm. it's a very accessible way for a business owner who may not be great at writing to have their book. So I'm thinking like chiropractor, um, accountant, saying going out to their client base and creating almost little case studies of their clients. And each chapter could be about a different client. And, you know, they may need to change the names to protect the innocent. I don't know. But it's like, you know, if you're a chiropractor, you could talk about how this particular person came in with these particular ailments Um, this is how they were feeling, this is how it was getting in the way of their life and then this is the kind of solution the chiropractor offered up and here's where they are now. It might be hard for chiropractors because they're kind of not allowed to say make my mm-hmm. claim. But I think that's brilliant. And on a marketing side, it's even better because if you can have 30 people featured in your book, those are 30 people that are not just going to buy that book, but their friends and family is going to buy that book. Plus they're going to showcase that book on social media and you have a really good organic reach through those people that you interview. Um, okay. I'm doing that with another author right now where he's an RCMP and we actually just got the book approved by the RCMP, which is the Canadian police um, agency here. And his book is amazing that he's interviewed over 10 different peacekeeping and peace building um, people within the RCMP. And it's they're all going to share that book. They're all going to share it with their audience and their their family, their friends, their the people that they know. So it's such a great marketing strategy to build that foundation for your readership. And the memoir? 
And the memoirs, um, this is not always as simple. So a lot of people, when they're writing their memoir, they always want to go into chronological order, but that's where you don't, you don't want to do that. You, you don't have to start from the beginning to end. You can actually kind of make it into a puzzle and weave your, weave your way through it. Um, but the biggest thing is that you want to make sure you have a clear and single message to share. So focus on that one um, main journey in your life that communicates that message. So that journey in life doesn't have to start from the beginning. You can share, you can actually start with the end and then work your way to the beginning. It's really up to you so you can have more fun there. Um, but it's the biggest thing is you, you want to have a clear and single message that you want to make sure it goes across the book. Lida, how does a business owner know when it's the right time to write a book or should they just get on with it? Mm-hmm. I think it's um it's really when it feels right. It's there's I think with every author that I've worked with, the answer is always different. It's that they've but the I think the main thing that I hear is that they just had this story built up inside them that they just they had to get it out. And that's when you know you have to write a book uh, more than anything. It's not it's not it's not just about sales. Those sales do come with this as a nonfiction and a business book, but it's also that want to write that story to share your expertise and to share that value that you have. What if you're not a great writer? That's okay. I find that um, the biggest thing, you just have to write it to make it terrible. And it's only your first draft and then rewrite it again. But um, the, the people that are going to help you is your structural editor and your copy editor. So the copy editor works on grammar and the structural editor works on the big picture of your book, like the characters, the theme, the environment, the buildup, everything. And they're the ones that are going to help make sure that your book's fantastic. If you don't want to write a book, that's okay because there's still ghostwriters to help you that can um, you dictate what you want it to look like. Look, look like and they'll write it. I'm going to hang my hat on the interview concept for a book. That mm-hmm. to me, easiest one. So if someone's listening because they hear, gosh, I've got to get a structural editor, I've got to get a copy editor, that's feeling complicated, that's feeling expensive. We'll talk cost later on. But I imagine the interview option would be the easiest where right now, if someone's listening and they go, oh, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to interview 10 of my existing and past clients create case studies or stories from their experiences so that it helps others make a more informed purchase decision when they're coming to buy from me. That would be easy enough to do. You would then get that interview, those interviews transcribed and what, send them off to a copy editor to clean up? Yeah, I think that's perfect. And you know, one of my favorite books is called The $100 Startup. And that's exactly what that author did. He just took up all these different stories um, and shared them how they created a startup from $100. And it's amazing. And that book became a New York Times bestseller. But really, how did they get there is really because of the people they shared. Those people created that foundation and that buzz around the book for him. That's a really interesting example. To say it's one of my favorite books would be an exaggeration, but it's right up there. And there was a lot mm-hmm. of things I liked about that book. If you pull it apart, first of all, I think the cover is everything. And it was an awesome cover, um, beautifully designed. It really stood out amongst all the other business books. Awesome name. It's like, I want a $100 startup. And then when you got into it, all the beautiful little stories that were told that reinforced this concept of you can have a $100 startup because here is example after example after example. That book seemed to have every box ticked and kind of had the secret source of, of success. Yeah, itself. and it constantly pointed back to the author being the expert and being that person that can guide you through it because he was still sharing, he was the one collecting and sharing those stories. And another great example that we all know is the chicken soup for the soul is that really comes like just a whole bunch of interviews and stories that put that book together. Yes, so true. Isn't it great? Because I mean, part of what I wanted to do with you today 
lighter is to make the writing of a book success uh, accessible, you know, and and that those kind of examples do exactly that. So, lighter, what are the key questions a business owner needs to to clearly answer, ask themselves, and clearly answer before writing their book? I imagine there's you know some sort of four or five. Yeah, I think it's really looking at um, are can are you going to be providing value? No matter what, the biggest thing is is when you're writing anything, and if you're doing social media for your company, anything is really focusing: is this value, and is this going to help change people? Even if it's one person, can they use this in some capacity to better their life? So really asking yourself: is that do you really have something to share? And I think the other thing is, is that when you're writing that book, don't always focus so much on the process, really focus on the result. Because I find that a lot of people, and this comes with any form of marketing and PR, with even getting media and pitches and having them post Forbes, is that those articles, they always really focus on the results, that dream that you want to sell people. Because a lot of people, they get they get bored over the process. That's what I've been finding and learning when it comes to um, how to create a successful marketing strategy around the book and what makes a great book, is that you can share the process, but don't, um, don't spend too long on it. Really focus on the results and what could happen because then you're also selling yourself there mm-hmm. of what, how you can help them achieve those results. Other questions lighter, I imagine, I mean, like any marketing plan, but like who are you ta- who are you writing this book for? Yeah. So the, yeah, that's a good one. So like when you're, before you're writing your book, um, I find like a lot of authors just start writing right away. And what you actually want to do first is you really want to know who's your target reader, who is going to be consuming this book, because that is who you want to write it for more than anything. You want to make sure the people who you're writing for is going to read it. In order to do that, you have to outline who your target audience is and how I always recommend um, writing your target audience is following three different uh, steps is one is outlining their job and not their job according to what your book's about but what they're what are they trying to achieve um, so for example but let's say you have a lawn outside and your grass is overgrown what you're what you need to do as your job is you need to have your grass shorter so what you the those suppliers and those companies that can supply that is your local neighborhood kid can cut your lawn or you can buy a lawnmower. And that's the solution to your job. So when you're outlining your target audience is that you want to outline it the same way. What is their job? And then what are their gains and pains associated with that job? So if they accomplish that job, what are their gains around that? And if they don't, and if they do don't accomplish it, what are their pains around that? And once you have that outlined, you have your value proposition actually outlined and your mission statement outlined for your book. So it's really, you're kind of reverse engineering it is by outlining that target audience, really, really diving deep into what do they want to accomplish? What are the gains and pains associated to that? You just outlined your value proposition and your foundation of how you want to grow your book. When I was writing my book called The Boomerang Effect Lighter, one of the things I did up front was I wrote the table of contents first. I'm sure there's no... Yeah, yeah. It sort of gave me like Mm. a plan to work to and then I just Mm. sort of filled in the gaps under that you went really as if like oh you're a bit weird no, that makes sense. Everybody's different too of how they write their books. So like there's no one fits all, but I always find like the that like knowing who your audience is is a, one of those steps that can re- be universal for every author. But I think that's brilliant too is writing your table of context and mind mapping it. I know some authors do mind mapping, some authors do the table of context. So every author's different. What works best for you more than anything because you, um, that's going to prevent you from getting writer's block. Yeah, I must to be clear, the very first mm. thing I 
did was write was identify who I was writing this for. Um, but mm-hmm. once I did that, I, I felt like it was a bit of an acid test. I thought if I can get clear on who who my ideal reader is, and then if the table of contents came to me easily enough, then I felt like I was on the right track, and, the, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happened. Any other questions, Lida, that um, business owners need to ask themselves before they start writing? Yeah, I think it's like figuring out and getting clarity about what you know and what you don't know. Um, and that way that can help you understand like where you want to position your book to and also help you understand where do you need to put research in and where do you need to maybe bring in those interviews or other expertise in. So you want to write it down even if it's like when you're writing that, you really want to know like be gain clarity and be honest with yourself too because that way you can provide the most value to the readers. Um, and the other one is really research. Make sure um, you get your facts, your statistics, your quotes and anything um, really, really down pat. Your editor will help you with that, of course, and do some fact checks for you. But you want to make sure that everything that you're providing, whether especially if it's about your business, like from when you started it, any the day that um, you saw um, a turn and gaining that success, anything, you want to make sure you have your dates down perfectly. Um, just because you don't want that to, if you make a mistake, you don't want that to hurt you in the long term. And the other one is like that outline is um, really getting clarity of like how what's going to work best for you to finish your book. And um, and it's not and just because your friend might have written it with a mind map, you might have been better with a um, table, writing your table of contacts. So really know what works for mm-hmm. you best. And that way you can, when you start writing, then you can gain more success and you can see more um, progress too. And the biggest thing is just start writing. Uh, see what comes up too. Um, and I find like the biggest thing I've known with um, entrepreneurs is that this writing their book actually just helps them create more healthier habits in the long term that they can put into their business like if if it's waking up earlier if it's just having like it's also just giving them so much clarity writing about their business that they and looking back into their business that they sometimes see new ventures new partnerships different areas for growth so there's so many benefits to writing that book You said just earlier, be honest about what you know and what you don't know when you set off to write a book. Have you ever had a business owner approach you where they've been so excited about writing their book and you're just like inside going, oh, you know what? I don't know whether you should be writing a book. Um, not yet, but I feel like it will happen eventually. I've been very fortunate that I've attracted um, these entrepreneurs and um, small business owners that they've just had so they've just had such crazy, amazing journeys in life, and none of them are the same at all. Like every single book that's come my way has been completely different, and they have just such different advice and tips and um, stories that people can share. And I find writing a book um, and putting writing that story around an idea and a problem or a success gives people a different perspective of how to how to relate it into their lives, which is so cool. It gives them a different um, perspective of um, of different emotions that it goes through, and they kind of and they also they insert themselves into that author and that small business person's story, which is the best part is that they feel that they're a part of it while they're reading it, and that's one of the coolest things about storytelling. But I have not had a book that's come across where I kind of cringe like no, um, but so not yet. It might happen eventually, but not yet. A tip for writer's block. 
I don't think I really believe in writer's block. I feel like maybe it's something else that's preventing you from writing. Maybe it's that you don't want to actually share this part of the story because there's um, you don't you're scared that people are going to judge you. Or maybe it's that you um, you secretly have a hundred emails in your inbox and that's the one that's preventing you from actually writing. Because we write every single day, whether it's about our book or not. It's more of like looking at to see is there something else that's roadblocking us from actually putting pen to paper. Once you've got your book written, uh, getting the, getting it designed is another kind of challenge, I guess, for many business owners, because again, they're not in the business of getting books designed. So we've talked about a structural editor, a copy editor. I'm guessing you need a graphic designer. Who else do we need on our team? Yeah. So there's a um, the production side, there's a multiple, there's a few steps here. The first step is actually editing. Then it's cover design and maybe illustrations if you need it. Then you have production, which is the typesetting, um, getting your ebook conversion, everything. Then you have your launch or your pre-sale. So launch doesn't mean that the book's available right now. It could. What I like to do is always do pre-sales for a few months beforehand and get some um, book reviews, testimonials, everything. Then you have your distribution and your marketing. So with editing, let's just go over that quickly, just because um, a lot of people just think that it's just one type of editor that they need, and that's actually that's the biggest, uh, I always say you need to get structural editing. And this is where it's the backbone of any award-winning book. So every New York Times bestseller, um, they've gone through a structural edit. No, um, If you go traditional, there's no traditional publisher that would ever skip traditional um, structural editing. So it doesn't mean like you get a whole revamp of your work. Instead, it gives you insights on how to further develop your storyline and how to further, maybe you have a great case study that's only a page long. Maybe that structural editor says like, let's expand this because this is a secret gold nugget. So it's kind of like, if you kind of think of it like this, you have this business and maybe you wrote your memoir. You kind of like, sometimes I find even with me is that I get like um, blinders on because I'm so into my own story. But this structural letter, it helps you expand it and help you even realize things you did not notice in your own business, in your own journey, which is so cool because that might actually reflect on your business in the long term. Maybe you'll do other campaigns. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll like go back to that old um, client that you had and just be like, want to um, work with them in a different way or you see something different. So it really gives a complete detailed reading of the manuscript and helps you with uh, suggestions on a concept level, which is so important. The other one is a copy editing. And this is where they really review your sentences, make sure you don't have a one sentence that's a a page long type of thing. Mm -hmm. And they make sure that there's no spelling mistakes. The last edit is the proofreading edit. And this is just your final checkpoint before the book is formatted. So this is just to make sure that um, the text is good. There's no embarrassing errors. There's no double paragraph spacing, stuff like this. And this one is not that expensive. This starts at like seven cents per word. Um, So it's very, um, it's more very, very cost affordable, but it's just that final checkpoint. So, so what we, we've got, what was that third editor you talked about? The, the there's, So there's three editors. There's the structural editing, your copy editing, and your proofreading. So a lot of a lot of authors do skip the structural editing, and you can do that. But um, if you if you're really looking to go to that New York Times bestselling market, then you'll want to do a structural yeah. editing. But if this is more of like a speaking and something for your current clients and to grow um, to go that next level in your business, then you can really just stick to copy editing. It's really you get to have the final choice because I really, especially if you go self publishing, because this is treated at your book as a product and it's just and you're in complete control of it. And designer. 
Mm, yeah, so designer um, is always different based on who you're picking. Um, so um, your book cover design can start from $250 um, and it can go up to $1,000. It's really up to what type of designer you want to work with. And um, so they, some designers, they can do everything from scratch where they create the whole, they treat as an art piece and they're designing everything from scratch or they can take stock photos and work with that. So it's really up to you which kind of design that you want. The biggest thing is that whenever any book cover that you create it has to visually tell people what your book's about and that's so important again how you can help that designer to get that perfectly is telling them who your target audience is and really what your value proposition is and that's how you can really once you give that to your book designer you'll see a huge benefit and uh, such a strong and beautiful book cover from that where they really get what your book's about and how readers are going to digest it. The other thing too is that your book cover is so important to get right because it's what gets people's attention. It's what actually gets them to pick up your book. And then it's actually the back cover description. Your book description is what makes them sell. So that's where you get the conversion of a book sale. So think of it this way. Your book cover generates a lead and your back cover, your book description makes that sale, converts the lead into a sale. Oh, I like the I like that, and um, they are so important. Have you got any tips on what makes for a great cover? Simplicity. So, um, you really don't want uh, keep it really, really simple. If you want to have your logo or something, um, it's something you want to keep it simple, where somebody can almost draw it themselves even though their drawing might be really bad, but it's something that they could remember. And that's really important. If you think of like Mickey Mouse or the Nike logo, for example, anybody can draw Mickey Mouse and the Nike logo, and they can even see it anywhere they look if it's in their mind. So you kind of want something that uh, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. You want something that they will recognize and that, that, that they already understand the meaning behind it. I think a great thing to do on the cover issue is go into a bookstore and mm-hmm. stand the section that your book would appear in or in fact other sections and see what catches your eye because I agree simplicity yeah. is, is is absolutely everything I think um uh, being a marketing guy Seth Godin's books are you know a great example of that he ticks a lot mm-hmm. of books. I actually make every single one of my authors do that or to go on Amazon as well and see what's on the top 100 list um and or what's based on keywords that are related to their book as well what makes a great back cover? It's really about the font, making sure that the font's readable. Very simple, nothing crazy in the background, just making sure that the people can easily scan that that back copy. I imagine the back cover surely is more than a great font. I mean, does it need a testimonial? Does it need a simple description of what the book's about? Does it need a photo of the author? Yeah, I try not to have a photo of the author on the back um, book cover, but I do like to have, it's the book description that you want. So you want to keep it short, 250 words um, as a max. Mm-hmm. And um, you want to get straight to the point. Don't use too many buzzwords. Really get in clarity on that, what that book description is about. Um, and when you are first producing your book, you're going to have what's called an art copy, which is an advanced review copy. So that's the copy. And you, we won't print this copy out unless you have a large budget for it, but you can send this out for eBooks. And that's how you're going to gain testimonials. So this is before the book's launch. You want an art copy. So at this time, your book, your back cover does not have any testimonials on it, but it will once we use that ebook, um, uh, ARC ebook copy to gain testimonials. So you'll send out the ebook to influencers, people that are maybe colleagues, university professors, anybody that can relate to your book or that um, whose industry, they, or anybody who would like that book who's credible and an expert in their field. And you want to get a testimonial from them. Once you get a few 
testimonials, you want to put your top testimonial in on the back cover. And then you can also, what a lot of my authors do is that we put on the first three or two pages, we fill those pages with all the other testimonials too. And that gives people instant trust because when they're purchasing a book, they're not purchasing a book based on um, what, how much it costs. They're purchasing it based on time. And for us to spend our time, we need to see trust there. And that's what those yeah. testimonials do for you. A lot of publishing options. From my understanding, getting a publisher is good. You might get an advance, although unlikely if you don't have a track record, but what they are going to give you is distribution. Um, but from what I understand also, you don't make a lot of dough when you've got a publisher. Everyone else sort of clips the ticket along the way and you're the last person to get any money from it versus self-publishing where you go through the whole process yourself, you own the book outright, distribution's a lot harder. So like for me, I didn't really care if I was in the bookshop or not. My book was to be sold you know, on my website at conferences that I spoke at and as a glorified business card when people inquired about my speaking. Um, have you got a view on self-publishing versus publisher? Yeah. So there's actually four types of publishers that you can go with. So there's traditional publishing. And the biggest thing is that, uh, that different, let's different between them and self-publishing is that they actually, they own your book. So they purchase your book basically from you and maybe they'll give you advance. A lot of the time they won't, but they still own the book. So if they want to make a change the chapters or remove chapters, they can. You don't have final say with the book cover either. They also, you only get a percentage of sales and that's also after they've made their profit back a lot of the time too. So they'll probably spend um, maybe $20,000, $10,000 on your book, which is a lot. Um, and that's going to be more than a lot of self-publishers do. But it's which is great. But the other, I think I find that the biggest con with traditional publishing is there's two. Is one you don't have control of your book anymore; they own it. But the second one is is they really only give your book a season. So they'll once they launch your book, they'll give their sales team a season to promote it. And if it doesn't get the traction that they're hoping for, then they move on. They move on to the next season. And it's up to you, the author, to do the work now and to really support them. So that's the I find that's the biggest difference. And with self-publishing is that you do own your book. It you're you as the author, you're the business and your book's the product. So you have 100% creative control and you get 100% of the profits. The con is is that there are companies out there that like to scam authors by mass producing books with no quality control. And that's what you really want to do and stay away from is that when you're producing your book, you want to make sure it's of a high quality and it's at that same standard as a traditional publisher. And that doesn't mean you have to spend a lot of money on it. It just means that you have to do your research of who you want to work with and what um, and has setting those expectations for yourself and for your book. The other two types of publishers is a hybrid publisher. And this is where they um, the authors pay a reduced price to the company to publish their book. And then the hybrid publisher will pay the rest. So it's more of like a joint collaboration. So the pro is that the authors who work with hybrid publishers, they um, will get to divide the responsibilities with them. The con that is that in most case, cases, authors must use their own resources. And a lot of the time, a lot of that onus is to the author in the long term to produce their book and market it, whereas the hybrid publisher um, will kind of just help with more of the production and the editing side. So majority of the work is put onto the author and the author only owns a certain percentage of the book with the hybrid publisher. And then the last one is Amazon. So Amazon did start the, um, did get started in the book business. I mean, that's where, how they grew. They were a bookstore online and they actually do help um, authors self-publish their books. But again, there is no quality control. So the majority of the authors who do take that do-it-yourself approach do not see the success through Amazon. They have a website, don't they, Amazon? Is it blurb.com? Is that owned by Amazon? 
Um, I think so. I don't. I don't know for sure. It, it sort of takes you through the whole process of, of publishing through Amazon. Yeah, okay, four options. That's interesting. Your preference. I suppose it, it depends on the client you're dealing with at the time. But if you see a book and you go, "My God, this is this is an incredible book," um, then the idea of getting a publisher and getting the, that book right out there would appear to be a good idea. You know, let's be honest. Not every book's incredible. If it's not then possibly the self-publishing route's a better a better option? I don't think it's just about being incredible or not to self-publish. It really depends on what they want. Like I'm working with one author and his book is fantastic. We're publishing in January. Like it's it's going to be amazing. He chose self-publishing because he wanted to own his book. He yeah. didn't want to sell it to a traditional publisher. But I, I work with traditional published authors too. And a lot of the time I've worked with quite a few where I know three of them so far have bought their book back from the traditional publisher and have made more money since then from self-publishing their book. And it's not because they didn't like this the traditional publisher. They just they wanted to own their work was the biggest thing and they wanted to do it their way. Yeah, okay. One thing we haven't touched on, we've got our book now. We've written it. We've got all the editors. They're all happy. The design, the front cover, the back cover. Um, we're ready to go. Publicity is critical here to get your book yes. out there. Uh, you have had some success. In fact, as I said earlier, you got one of your clients selling over 100,000 books. Yeah. So I find like PR um, and selling books is different for every single author. There's no, anybody that tells you that there's a cookie cutter approach or they use like their formula can work for you. It, it can't because everybody's story is different. So they need their own PR strategy. They need their own sales strategy. And so you really want to take that personalized approach, but the foundation is still there and it can be used for every author. So with the one author that I helped sell 100,000 books is what we did is that his book was on cycling and travel. And what we did is that we talked, we approached um, tons of different um, small hotel chains to sell his book. And that's how we produced 100,000 sales was going kind of growth hacking it and really approaching other small businesses that were aligned with his story to sell his book for us. And it was great. We got testimonials to support those sales through PR. So we would not have been able to make those sales with those through those um, small hotel chains without getting testimonials. And testimonials comes from PR. So we need to get testimonials from other cyclists. We need to get testimonials from other experts and tourism influencers. And that's what helped us get into those sales. So when it comes to PR is really knowing your why. Why is the audience going to be interested in this book? Um, what is the benefit to them? What is the result that they're going to achieve while reading it? Because a lot of the time as authors and as small businesses, we tend to always pitch the process. And that's where um, that's where our pitch is always going to get lost. We want to always pitch the result and the why and the benefit because that's what gets people excited about the story. You got a million reads in 24 hours on a press mm -hmm. release you sent out. What did you do there? Uh, it was actually a pitch. So it wasn't what I, um, I find that press releases don't work. People don't care that your book's been launched because when you're sending a press release or a pitch, it has to be, how does it benefit that reader? So it's very rare that you'll, unless it's JK Rowling sending a press release on her newest book, the world would go crazy. But with, if you don't have that foundation already built in, the press release is going to go to crickets. So instead you want to pitch something of value. So no, you don't always want to pitch like read my book. It's something about value that stems 
pitch from your book. So I sent a pitch with an author to Huffington Post. And then we worked on this article for six months where we made sure that we got our credibility behind it. We interviewed other um, professors to make sure that we had all of our, um, everything crossed, everything perfect. And then we launched this pitch and we got a million reads within 24 hours. Not only that, but my client, she got um, invited to speak at Yale University, which was amazing. So this one article that we put over six months of work working with their editor, Kristen there, uh, we got so much success from it. And it was just amazing for my client in the end. And um, her book, she has a cookbook and that's where, and that traffic that we got from there, we pushed into that um, to, for people to download her ebook, her cookbook, and then also to become clients of her. So we used it as a lead funnel, um, that pitch and that story about her as a lead funnel to get her ebook and then to become long-term clients for her. Lida, what's your view on, obviously you get your book printed. Mm -hmm. Do you also suggest to all clients that they then have an e-version of it for say Kindle or any of those other devices, then audio? Do you suggest actually going to all those different mediums? Um, I suggest really going to ebook at first. And the majority of the sales that you want to have in your first year, we really want to push to ebook sales. Because the goal is that when we're doing sales, we want to predict how many print books we're going to sell per month. Because at first, we're going to do print on demand and then we're going to order books after. But before we order books, we want to really know, understand how many books are we going to sell per month. So that way, we can calculate how many books we need to order from overseas because um, that the cost to order books overseas is very costly. It could be tens of thousands of dollars sometimes depending. And then we have to sell all those books and we have to pay for warehouse fees. We have to pay for shipping, everything. So that cost is quite high. So before we even touch that, we want to do print on demand. Once we learn how many books we're going to sell per month, then we can order books in bulk. And that's when you're going to see more profit come in is because then our cost per um, to create the book will go down quite fast. We've talked a lot about uh, the team that you need in order to bring a book to life. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, you can go to a an agency like yours, Talk Plus Tell. Uh, so if mm-hmm. any American listeners listening, I would suggest you do that. Lighter, unfortunately, the exchange rate Australia to US dollars is not pretty. Yeah, I am in New York just to help with my authors and my clients because I find that um, I do have Australian and New Zealand authors that I work with and um, to make their brand presence and everything grow on that side. So people can go to talkplustell.com, but mm-hmm. there is the other option and it's the option that I went down, a little bit more work, but I, I quite enjoyed it, which is going to a website like upwork.com and finding individual specialists for the different tasks you need to do. Is there a website, uh, an outsourcing website that you recommend? I think Upwork would work. Um, it's great too. And it's when you're doing that, it's really, um, you're really wanting to manage that whole process. And you can 100% do that and have a great product at the end too, but really know what your expectations are and make sure that you meet those expectations. And I think like the biggest thing is really research the publishing industry, if, especially if you're going to do it yourself and know what needs to, what you need to do in order to have a successful book. Yeah. It's amazing the resources out there that you, that you can mm. you can tap into and and a website like Upwork is great. I mean, it works off you know testimonials and ratings, and you get to see people's portfolios. So, yeah, for those who are a bit nervous about it, it would be probably a good thing to go and, and try out. Maybe you know find a graphic designer, for example, to do a little brochure or something to start off with. But um, certainly, um, it's where the world's at. Lida, that's interesting. Hopefully, mm. we've inspired a few more business owners to go and write a book. Yeah, it's uh, it's every author that's a business owner that's written a book that I've seen, they get so much success. 
Um, they just they get more insight, not just about their business, about their clients, their customers. And we see a lot of growth and that growth is profits. And so it's a small investment to create that book, an investment on your time and on the book production, but it's so worth it. I'm actually working with a couple of authors right now where I launched a course on PR for them and it's a two-month course. And a lot of them are still in that production of their book, but just getting to talk to them and hearing their stories of how their, what their business looks like and then also them that based on that course, a lot of them have been changing their brand content around their company because of their who their target audience is and uncovering more about their business while they're writing and going through that production phase, which is huge. And they've been able to see that, um, that book and that story that they've created go into different areas in their business to improve different areas. Love it. Lida, mm-hmm. uh, thank you. Uh, people can find a little bit more about Lida McClellan at talkplustel.com. And if you want to use her services, it's in Canadian dollars. We love that. Much easier. Much, much easier. Mm-hmm. Much cheaper. <laughs> I'm Canadian uh, at heart. I am uh, I'm have a dual citizenship. There's a lot of Australians in Vancouver, especially in Whistler. Yeah, well, there is a sort of um, a brotherhood, sisterhood between Canadians and Australians, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we'll get you out here one day and you can do a, you know, when you launch your own book, you can do a book tour. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Good on you, Lida. Thanks for sharing. Thank you too. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, there you go, team. Self-publisher Lida McClellan of Talk Plus Tell. You ready to write your book now? I hope so. Here's what grabbed my attention from that chat. Attention grabber number one. I fully support Lida's belief that every business owner has a book in them. Should they write it? Well, have a crack at it. But we've all got something to say. And, you know, as we've said on this show a number of times, uh, books are a great marketing channel to get awareness and build profile. Attention grabber number two, get crystal clear on your ideal target reader by outlining what they're wanting to achieve by reading your book and understanding any pains or blockages that are in their way. You know that. You're going to write an awesome book because that book is going to be a solution. That would be a good idea. And attention grabber number three, be honest about what you know and what you don't know. Great advice by Lida and fill in the gaps of what you don't know by interviewing others. (laughs) That's what I do. (laughs) I don't know anything. I just interview people and ask the questions that I need answered. It's a good way. And it's actually a good strategy for writing a book. Have a think about that. Put it in your pipe and smoke it. Well, that's what grabbed my attention. Whatever grabbed yours, be sure to block out some time and implement it. Oh, yes, indeedly, doodly, it's time to reward another motivated listener for taking some serious and swift marketing action. Today's winner is... Galava Poor of exoticbazaar.com.au, which is the manufacturer of beautiful and exotic Persian cuisine. And Galava says, Hello, Tim. Hello, Galava. I have learned so many lessons from your podcast, but most importantly, I have been making sure to put some of them into action every day. Oh, that's awesome. You win. I learned from the episode with the tradie underwear guy, that was Ben Goodfellow, to ensure every product of ours is a billboard. Yeah, that was great advice. Have a listen to that episode if you are a product marketer and want to understand that concept. 
Galava goes on to say, I loved your interview with Melanie from Canva, Melanie Perkins. She's awesome. I have designed all of our marketing material on Canva since day one, and without it, we would not have been able to be where we are today. Even our product labels are DIY on Canva. Love it. Now that we have earned a bit of dough and learned a lot more about what our customers respond to, we are hiring a professional to review our branding and packaging. I think that's a brilliant idea. Get a bit of dough in the bank, reinvest it into the business by getting your branding and packaging right. She goes on to say, I have been expanding on my learnings. Actually, there's a big assumption. Galava. She, he, hmm, don't know, doesn't matter awesome person, listens to my show. Goes on to say, I've been expanding on my learnings from the episodes with Bunster's Hot Sauce and Liars Drinks to help develop a customer avatar and the use of archetypes in our marketing messages. Again, great learnings and concepts that we talked about in past episodes. We also use public speaking for brand awareness by me performing cooking demonstrations on stage at expos or events. Every time I go to an event, I will see at least a few other business owners who listen to your podcast. Normally, they are the ones with a fire in their heart and a smile on their face. (laughs) That would just bring a tear to a glass eye. It brings a tear to my eye and I'm touched by that. That's awesome. You go to events and you meet other small business, big marketing listeners. What is this world coming to? Oh, Galava, I would just give you a car as a prize if I could. I can't. I'll give you a matchbox car or something. She goes on to say, uh, thanks for making my Mondays happy, Galava. Exoticbazaar.com.au is the website. For all that brilliant implementing, you have won the following prizes. A 180 headlamp that's valued at 100 bucks. Boxing gloves from Fitness Enhancement, they're, they're 40 bucks. A complete range of Liars non-alcoholic spirits to wash down your beautiful Persian cuisine. That's valued at over 500 bucks. Um, they're just launching um, a couple of other flavours too, so that, may, that value of that prize may go up. Access to Jeff Anderson's video marketing course, 197 bucks. $50 sendal voucher, $100 voucher to buy some tradies undies. Promotion on this show already done that, and a backlink in the show notes for exoticbazaar.com.au and uh, Google love that. So it's good sort of Google juice. Well done to you. Everyone else, if you haven't entered, just send me an email. Tim at timreed.com.au. Tell me one idea, just one, that you've implemented from listening to this show and what impact it's had on your business. I read it out on air, you win. Before we wrap things up, just a reminder that you'll find plenty more episodes on the Podcast One Australia app, plus my entire archive full of ideas to grow that beautiful business of yours is over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. If you're getting value from listening, don't keep this podcast a secret. Be sure to let other business owners just like yourself know about it. Next time, we catch up with rock star Lockie Doley, who shares how he turned his love of music into a business. This podcast was presented by me, Timbo Reed, produced by Matt Dwyer. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Now get out there and take action. <laughs>